This past Friday night, I had the chance to witness a miracle of community and song and hope. Kind of like the miracle we just saw of the children's choir in some ways. It was something truly remarkable here at First Church. All this past week, the nonprofit community theater org, Fairfield Center Stage, has had a performance of Guys and Dolls. I believe there's one left this afternoon here at First Church in Wakeman Hall. According to their mission statement, Fairfield Center Stage is a community theater group that utilizes local artists and staff from Fairfield County. Inspired by the concept of environmental theater, Fairfield Center Stage is dedicated to putting Fairfield center stage by highlighting several of the town's amazing venues. Fairfield Center Stage's mission is to lead a culturally diverse collective of local artists to provide a quality, accessible, and affordable theater experience for the community, by the community. What could be more congregational than that? And what a better way for First Church to live into its unique position as a meeting house for this community than to welcome theater into the space. Here, this space for the, us in the congregational tradition in New England is ministry. And I believe what I witnessed in Wakeman Hall truly was a miracle in a time of so much social isolation on social media and separateness and loneliness to see community come together, true multi-generational community to sing and dance and laugh and be there for live theater. As the ensemble sang and danced to Luck Be a Lady, Sit Down, You're Rocking the Boat, and Bushel and a Peck, among other famous tunes, I looked around at the diverse cast and audience filling our fellowship hall. Only later, while speaking with Reverend Rose, did I learn that the fellowship hall was actually designed as a, to be a community theater space. I understand that Frank actually brought the curtains back recently. Is that right? Thank you, Frank. And then if you walk in the church offices, it kind of looks like a box office. And that's because it was the community theater box office. Suddenly, looking at the stage with this new knowledge, I realized that the soil under our feet these 400 years of people striving for community on this very earth were singing. This institution, this congregation, this sacred space on the granite shore of Connecticut is where Fairfield County started. And providing the space still for community theater, for multi-generational coming together, is part of our calling here I thought I was just going to go see another version of a play that's been done thousands of times, probably by every high school in the country. I know mine did it like on rotation every five years, guys and dolls, partially because it's such a big ensemble, you can give lots of parts away. But instead, I found myself front row for a miracle, a present-day manifestation of the mission of this congregation on this ancient site this holy partial, as Ezekiel might call it, centered here in southern Connecticut. Our scripture passage today from the book of Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, is talking about the renewal of a building, a second temple, a rebuilding of the temple after a time of exile, and the very kind of dry description of the actual like 
measurements of the holy district. This is one of those passages we often skip past, you know, in biblical scholarship. We're like, okay, they're talking about space again. We can go to the next chapter. But we miss something important. Ezekiel is envisioning a place for tradition, a set-aside place, a land for God's presence and worship. This is actually a reoccurring theme in the Bible. Set aside places, architectures for worship of God and prayer and ritual. This matters both in the Old and New Testament or in the Hebrew and Christian scriptures. Place, belonging, and a sense of God's presence for generations has a cumulative effect of the divine. One of the scholars of Celtic tradition, two of them are Marcus Borg and John Dominic Crossan. Marcus Borg spent a lot of time in the Iona Abbey uh, in northern Scotland. Maybe some of you have been there. And this is where he kind of delved into this theory of something called a thin place. Marcus Borg writes of a thin place in this way. A thin place is a place where our hearts are open, a means by which the sacred becomes present to us. A thin place is a place where God is felt very near and where we know in our bones God is deep and all around us. And you don't have to go to Scotland to find one. What gave me goosebumps while watching the play in Wakeman Hall was realizing the history underneath, guys and dolls being performed, but underneath the feet of the theater is this sacred location for Fairfield and Connecticut. First Church is a wellspring, a source, if you will, a vortex of God's power and presence. Norman Burr Wakeman last wrote the church's updated history in 1989. That's the most recent version I could could find. So if anyone wants to do a, a history revision committee, that would be kind of fun. I'm not volunteering, but But in this version in 1989 was celebrating the 350th anniversary of First Church. And he reflects on the history. We know those early days were exceedingly difficult. Many people lived at first in square pits dug six or eight feet deep. The sides were lined with rushes and vegetation and branches for roofs. In time, cabins were made of rough-hewn timbers sprung up around what would become the town green, and a stockade was built. On Sundays, a drummer summoned parishioners to worship services in a room without windows for the first 20 years. Sermons would often last for upwards of two hours. I promise to spare you that this morning. Until the early 1690s, Fairfield stretched from the Stratford line with Milford to Norwalk, and included what are now Easton, Weston, and Reading. First Church is the founding institution of this entire area. He goes on to tell these stories of the history of this place, the building of many church buildings, the burning of 80% of Fairfield by the British Army during the Revolution. Our church was burned on May 2nd, 1779, by the British. He tells of the courage of community and neighbors coming together after an arsonist burned down the church on Memorial Day weekend, 1890, 133 years ago this week, 
first church burned. Services were held, he tells us, in town hall for the next two years while the present sanctuary was built. When this church was finally completed, it was amazingly debt-free, paid for by almost 300 contributions, ranging from $1 to many thousands. He tells also of the effort to um, preserve and save the Tiffany windows, which began in 1978 and ended in the mid-1980s. And there's a kind of a fascinating story about them that when they started the renovation, have any of you done any home renovations before? Have you ever had them cost more than you expected once you get started? So that's what happened with the windows. Once they took them out, they had a small line item, and it ended up being a lot more than they expected. But they did it, and they prevailed, and they preserved these windows. In the early history of Fairfield, we saw a similar conversation to what's happening in Ezekiel as they plotted out the land. They called it the four-square plan, you look at this area, of Fairfield, very similar to downtown New Haven. Here at First Church with these beautiful stained glass windows, with these pews and this woodwork with this organ, we have a sense of those who've come before us in sacred space, a thin space. I wonder if any of the attendees at Guys and Dolls this week are aware of the Holy Land. I can tell you that I felt the ancestors and the presence of so many who've come before us wrestling with what it means to be Fairfield, to be community. This is the kind of place, the kind of congregation that stories and sonnets and songs are written about. It holds the hope of human creativity and spirit. Now, I have to tell you, my love for the UCC's architectural heritage and buildings isn't necessarily shared by everyone. In a conversation I had not long ago with some colleagues in ministry, one of my my ministry colleagues described their building as an impediment to the real ministry they wanted to do. He said that he hoped that the pandemic had finally taught his congregation to let go of the building and history. I protested, but, 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 but. History holds a special place, collective memory of space. It's a partner in our ministry, the UCC, all of our old buildings, not competition with our work. We can see in the UCC this architectural and historic heritage as part of our denominational responsibility to community and to our neighbors. In the UCC, we rightly say that the church is not the building. This is very theologically accurate. But that isn't to say that the building isn't part of our ministry to the community. Our call to the town of Fairfield, our call to the town greens across Connecticut. We in the UCC, and especially the congregational tradition in New England, are the beneficiaries of sacred spaces that hold memory and represent hope in difficult times for communities. Some clergy colleagues loved the online moment during the pandemic for church, but I worried immediately that the online made us miss our sense of place. The church isn't the building. Yes. But the stewardship of sacred spaces, the built environment, the historic spaces of the sacred matters for the health and well-being 
of our members and community. When I taught confirmation back in Guilford, I was the associate minister at First Church Guilford on the Green. You've done a day trip to Guilford. It's a beautiful town. It actually has one of the most intact historic districts um, in the country. That's because the British did not burn Guilford. Um, so not, nothing to their credit. They just were spared. Um, but Guilford's church is from 1820. And if we think we have maintenance, imagine an 1820 wooden building. So that's what they're dealing with. But uh, teaching confirmation students... We got to ask them which committees of the church they wanted to meet with one-on-one as part of their lesson. They got to pick five or six from many, many committees of First Church Guilford. And they resoundingly, to my surprise, said, we want to meet the people responsible for maintaining this space. They wanted to understand how that was their inheritance, a place that they knew they were going to be taken care of after those before. So the confirmation class I taught ended up choosing the building maintenance team as their mentors. That surprised me and also taught me something. Even the high schoolers understood the importance of the sacred space that they were being given to take care of. The sense of pride and hope in the architecture and the history is a unique thing, perhaps, in the UCC here in Connecticut. This is something we can choose to accept and celebrate. I've learned something recently through the pandemic and the time coming out of it. Historic, sacred, hallowed community spaces matter. We need meeting houses on town greens with history and context to center us. We have this great gift in our denomination Maybe the UCC can learn, we can learn to love our heritage buildings. They're maintenance heavy and take a lot of work and committees and endowments. But these are ministries of joy and love for the towns where we are planted rather than a burden of ministry. Reframing the maintenance of the building as ministry itself is a small token that we can offer communities. I think after two years of exile from sacred space, I came to First Church right as we were re-entering the sanctuary, and I have never seen people so excited to come and sit in pews as all y'all when we got to come back to this room. Our scripture passage is from another people in another time of exile from their sacred space. The choice portion of land set aside for God and worship in Jerusalem is far away from them in Babylon. While Ezekiel, if you read the whole book of Ezekiel, is an incredibly problematic prophet. Let me just put it out there. This book is part of the priestly material of Hebrew Bible uh, literature. And Ezekiel is filled with rants and rules and oracles. But mostly actually rants. Ezekiel likes to go on rants. But this passage is really interesting. It's a pining for a sacred space, a new temple a place of renewal and worship. A prophet in exile in Babylon, Ezekiel was written after the destruction of the first meeting house or temple in Jerusalem. Kind of like the moment when this congregation was in exile after the burning by the British and again in 1890 by the arsonist. There is an awayness, a separation, a time of confusion and uncertainty, isolation and pain, And then there's a dedication to rebuilding. We also went through that during the pandemic. And now we are reclaiming our ancestral spaces. 
Dr. Catherine Dar is a professor at Boston University of e Ezekiel, actually. And she says we need to pay attention to this passage. We need to pay attention to these passages of exile because we learn that their suffering and anxiety should not be minimized. Not only have they been thrust into an alien environment, leaving behind family and friends and possessions, places of worship, but they also lived with uncertainty. So focusing on architecture is a way for them to find their certainty and place again. I love that one of the comforts that Ezekiel offers in a time of uncertainty is literally writing into the sacred text design specs for the new temple, a return to sacred space. By preaching this oracle of specs for sacred space, Ezekiel is tapping into hope and something that modern historical preservationists and city planners are just starting to study. Connecting deeply with our history isn't new. It is familiar to us in these times as well. I think the UCC's focus on kind of trying to get us out of the buildings might not be necessarily the best guided thing. Some like to daydream about a church of the future without pews or walls, that that would somehow be better. But I think there's something of our ministry in the United Church of Christ to maintaining these sacred spaces at the hearts of community. In the UCC, we have a denomination with a wonderful resource, some of the oldest sacred spaces and worship buildings in the entire Western Hemisphere are in the United Church of Christ, including Barnstable, Massachusetts, if you go up there. This here is the same site in Fairfield on the green where people have been worshiping God for nearly 400 years. These places offer healing and hope, and we are the inheritors of these symbols that rise above tree lines in countless communities. There is emerging data, and I love this. You have to excuse me for being such a history nerd in this a little bit, that I want to share with you because I think it's really exciting. It points to the fact that maintenance, care, and the heart we put into maintaining these old buildings is actually a spiritual practice for community. We are engaging in a spiritual practice for mental health, and wholeness here in Fairfield and in Connecticut. It isn't your imagination that these buildings on these town greens are life-giving. It is science, turns out. Dr. Jeremy Wells is an assistant professor for historical preservation at Roger Williams University in Rhode Island. And he wrote an article called Sanity and Urbanity, Spontaneous Fantasy and the Relationship Between Urban Historical Environments and Mental Health. He wrote, since the 1970s, environmental design and behavior researchers have looked into the relationship between design of places and their impact on people's health. This emphasis is on evidence-based design or the use of social science research to understand the person-place relationship. The studies that do exist offer a tantalizing glimpse at the possibility that historic spaces have a bona fide positive effect on health, centering on overall mental health, creativity, imagination, well-being, and physical health. Basically, the research is showing that historic spaces actually have a direct impact on physical and emotional well-being.
He notes this is an amazing study that was put out that people live in one historic neighborhood that is actually historic, and the other people lived in one that was fake, like a Disney kind of front. And the people living in the actual historical space where they knew they were in a place that was old had better health outcomes, a higher sense of place attachment, and better mental health than the people in the fake Disney-fied old space. Built heritage, that is environments, provide a kind of ontological security for people. In other words, the familiar known stable qualities of what these are called as heritage environments provide understandable psychological cues that lead to improved mental health. The National Trust for Historic Preservation affirms Dr. Wells' research in another article in 2017 called Introduction to Health and Historic Preservation. It states, we're only at the beginning stages of understanding the role that old places play in health. But it seems that doing so will help shape our work in preservation to support people's health and foster human flourishing. Keeping and reusing old places gives people a sense of continuity and identity that is emotionally and psychologically beneficial and grounding. Keeping and reusing old places gives people a sense of continuity and identity that is emotionally and psychologically beneficial and grounding. It turns out congregations like First Church Fairfield and Guilford that have been holding on to and maintaining historic spaces out of a sense of duty and love were intuiting what mental health experts are just now figuring out. That it is a spiritual practice for the whole community to love and cherish these physical spaces, to see them as part of our ministry for Fairfield. In the UCC, we don't like to have dogma, but sometimes I feel like the odd person out when it comes to my love for our old buildings. The UCC's motto that the church isn't the building is true, but it might need some nuancing in terms of ministry. That historic spaces in the UCC might be our legacy for spiritual and psychological well-being in many places. Likewise, the biblical tradition of Ezekiel says that longing for those old places is natural and a part of hope cultivation in exile. As I close, I want to remember a saint named Jane Jacobs. Have any of you heard of Jane Jacobs? She's the one who went toe-to-toe with Robert Moses when he wanted to build a highway through Greenwich Village and actually build an off-ramp out of Washington Square Park. So he's the one who built all those highways. And so she wrote a book called The Death and Life of Great American Cities, which is credited as the founding source material of the historic preservation movement. This was in response to the destruction of Penn Station. Have you ever been to Penn Station? Can you imagine it as a Beaux-Arts, beautiful, well-lit building? That's not what we experience now, is it? Not really. So Jane Jacobs was a brilliant, brilliant writer and thinker, and she wrote this about historic spaces. Under the seeming disorder of the old place, whenever the place is working successfully is a marvelous order for maintaining the freedom of a place and people. It is a marvelous order. It is a complex order. The ballet of good city sidewalks never repeats itself 
from place to place or corner to corner like our building. And in every new way, it is replete with improvisations. Friends, we're in a time when there are new improvisations needed, creativity in the church. And these historic spaces help us reference something, help us to improvise in our own spiritual awakenings. We're in a moment like Ezekiel's people after exile, searching for hope and the sacred. And maybe in the UCC, we have a secret resource as we welcome the community to things like guys and dolls in the theater and here at the corner of Fairfield's Foursquare plan. This Friday night, I was all goosebumps realizing that this sacred space was witnessing multi-generational community in theater. I came to see a play, but it spoke deeper to me than any play has ever seen, ever been before. I love the mission of Fairfield Center Stage, is to lead a culturally diverse collective of local artists to provide a quality, accessible, and affordable theater experience for the community, by the community. But it also works for the church, doesn't it? First Church Fairfield's mission is to lead a culturally diverse collective of local spiritual seekers to provide a historic sacred space that is accessible and attainable for religious experience and the worship of God for the community, by the community, right here at the corner of our historic holy district of Fairfield. For the community, by the community, since 16. 16- 39. Amen.